You're listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Lovely day, a little gray, but we got about 24 hours plus until it's game time. And of course, today is Raptors Media Day, as you heard about in the news. We are going to dip back into that, see who is talking. There will be all kinds of availabilities throughout the day, both teams talking to the media. We've already heard from Messiah Jury. We'll hear more from him coming up. Plus, we'll take you down to the Scotiabank Arena, where all the fun, the frivolity, and the nerves. There's a lot of nerves, not only in this city, but I think on behalf of the Golden State Warriors, they take us lightly at their peril. Am I right, or am I right, Drake? Hey, listen, listen. That is right. Listen up. We are going to begin south of the border, though, with Mr. Mueller. Mr. Mueller was just speaking shortly a while ago, talking about his probe into the U.S. president. And I want you to take this away from what he had to say. By the way, he said he's resigning from the Justice Department. But he concluded his statements with this, and this should be chilling not only for our cousins to the south. There were multiple systematic efforts to interfere in our election. And that allegation deserves the attention of every American. There's Robert Mueller summing up his statement today that there was interference by Russian agents in the election. Now, you know the results of the rest of his report, and essentially his press conference today, was basically to say, I stand by my report, my report is my report, I'm retiring, go away, leave me alone. But the reason that this is so concerning is obviously we have a federal election coming up, and we would be greatly naive to believe that Russians or other state actors might want to influence our election. And because of that, I am taking you now to Ottawa, where yesterday Facebook executives and representatives for the social media giant were grilled by politicians, but said they will not remove misleading content from the platform during Canada's upcoming federal election campaign. For example, the company was questioned about the decision not to remove a doctored video of U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi intended to portray her as drunk and slurring her words. It's fake. But Facebook will not take it down. And if they won't take that down, what else will they allow? And how might that impact our vote come the fall? One more from Mr. Mueller on the way out. Mr. Mueller? If we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the president did commit a crime. Under long-standing department policy, a president cannot be charged with a federal crime while he is in office. That is unconstitutional. Even if the charge is kept under seal and hidden from public view, that too is prohibited. The special counsel's office is part of the Department of Justice, and by regulation, it was bound by that department policy. Charging the president with a crime was therefore not an option we could consider. Okay, 
Well, that clears that up. Thanks. So you didn't find anything, but if you did, you couldn't charge him, but you found something. But Let's go to Air Canada and Pearson Airport last night. A lot of steamed passengers. Here's just one of them talking about his experience after a technical glitch essentially grounded pretty much the entire Air Canada fleet. It was rough. It was a process. And they didn't have any information. They just said, hey, there's nothing we can do. We don't know anything. You're out of luck. The call centers and the check-ins are beginning to come back online, according to Air Canada, following that technical problem. According to the GTAA, which uh, takes uh, over Pearson, that is, uh, who runs Pearson, the system was down from approximately 9 p.m. Tuesday to 12.20 a.m. Wednesday. To get the latest on what's happening at Pearson, I am joined by Sean O'Shea, reporter and consumer investigative reporter for Global News. Hi, Sean. Hi, Alan. Good afternoon. What is the situation at Pearson now for Air Canada? For departing passengers, Alan, most of the flights are on schedule right now. Air Canada is claiming that they have a they're running their full schedule today. They've added a few flights and they've changed some of the some of the aircraft today to accommodate people that were left. So it's pretty much when you come into the airport back to normal. Not entirely back to normal. For example, if you're online looking through the Air Canada app and trying to do all the normal stuff. That's going to take a little while longer, according to Air Canada. But last night was a real pain for a lot of people coast to coast that were flying Air Canada and just couldn't fly. Are people still stranded? Have those passengers, I think there's a number of them in the United States as well, who are stranded? I can't answer for sure about that. I don't believe anybody is stuck here at Pearson. It's possible in other places because there is a backlog. They were, you know, I was up till one in the morning dealing with some of the people uh, through Twitter who were uh, talking about the situations that they were in in Calgary and in Edmonton and all across the, you know, the Air Canada world. Um, and it was frustrating to different degrees. For example, you know, the the people in Calgary actually had a better deal. They they actually had the pilot allowing them to get off the aircraft after they boarded. They were being given water and they were being given food. All the kinds of things that the new passenger rights legislation contemplates and talks about, which comes into force starting later in the year. In different places, people weren't getting any information. And that's the thing that, Alan, frustrates people the most. When are we going to go? Give us an update. People were getting bits and pieces of that last night. The airline tweeting out just before 10.30 that it was working to resolve the issue that appears to be the first communication, at least by Twitter, and yet we have the system going down at 9 p.m. That's quite the gap. It's a gap, and it's one of those things, again, that Mark Garneau was addressing last week when we talked to him it's, in terms of the legislation. People really need to know what's going on. Even if it's bad news, give me the bad news. The new legislation stipulates that they're going to have to give updates on flight delays every 30 minutes by email, by text message at the airport so people can plan for their lives. And this isn't the first time, Alan, this has happened. This same kind of a glitch, technical malfunction happened in March of, of 2018. That delayed flights for a couple of hours. So Air Canada's got some kind of a technical problem that perhaps we don't know about in its entirety. And the reality is, with this kind of problem, they can't board the flights. People can't get checked in. There's, you know, there's just no way to, to run it with the computer system's not working 100%. I think we're going to hear more about 
what the problem is. I don't think our Canada is going to necessarily come out and tell us more about the nitty-gritty, but a lot of people saying, where are the backups? How come you've had a problem before, you had it again? What are you doing to try to rectify this? Because delays are one thing, but multiple delays in successive years, that's not acceptable. And in this instance, there is really no recompense for passengers. I mean, I'm, I'm reading through social media. There's a traveler by the name of Cartel Cutler saying he's, he's had to delay business meetings. He's, you know, he's got a big thing he's supposed to go to. He's not going to get to it. I mean, there's just, it, this is just the nature of flying in, in this instance. And even under the new rules, Alan, uh, you know, if, if a situation like this happens that is outside the airline's control, people are not going to be compensated for it. I think to some degree people do understand that. You know, the airline doesn't deliberately go and um, have a problem with its systems. They want to fly people. They want to make money. Having said that, people do lose money. They do lose circumstances. They do lose out when there's a big delay like this. And it's, it is frustrating. And again, I think when we see these rules come into effect that are going to be more easy for people to understand, I think people are going to take advantage of those and hopefully get more educated because you know people should... For example, if you have to be someplace the next day, and it's a really important thing, maybe people aren't going to leave it right to the end. People with travel often push things right to the very end, and then if something happens and we see that these things do happen, then they're, they're stuck. So I think the flyer has to become more educated as well about what the risks are and the fact that airlines aren't perfect and systems aren't perfect and computers don't always work, and that's what we saw happen last night overnight. Thanks, Sean. appreciate your update from Pearson. Thank you, Alan. Have a good day. That is Sean O'Shea, investigative and consumer reporter for Global News, and you can see his report tonight as he presses for more answers from Air Canada as to what happened. Drake, anything you'd like to say? I love Toronto. I love this team, and we're going to the NBA Finals. Let's go! Yeah, baby, let's go. It is media day for the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors. In fact, the Warriors were talking yesterday. I'm not. I'm going to have to retract what I said earlier. I'm not a hundred percent that they are speaking today. I know this is full media day. I believe they are speaking later. I do know, however, that uh, Toronto Raptors president Messiah Jury has just wrapped up his press conference, talking to the media, and we're going to hear from him in just a moment. But first, I want this is exciting news. Canadian cities are setting up Jurassic Parks for fans to watch the Raptors' playoff run right across the country. And this is so amazing. Uh, Mississauga, Brampton, Burlington, Kingston all say that they have received permission from Raptors owner Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment to set up outdoor viewing areas during the series against the Warriors. Let's just go back there. There's a couple I want to point out here. First of all, Mississauga and Brampton. Yesterday, I checked on social media, and Bonnie Crombie had wrapped herself literally in the flag. Like, literally had Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie wrapping herself in a Raptors flag. And then later, Patrick Brown tweeted, hey, we get one too. So I don't know if you know the background here. On, on They don't particularly care for each other. Uh, and Brampton it wants to stay together in the region appeal, and Mississauga wants to go its own way. So here's what I'm proposing. Halftime game one. Uh, maybe a little uh, little horse contest, contest between the two. Or maybe like a one-on-one. That would be sweet. Crombie v. Brown. The winner gets to leave. The loser gets to stay. 
Uh, something like that. I think that would that would make money. Here's the other thing I just quickly on Jurassic Parks. The city of Vancouver has bucked the trend in announcing that it will not offer public viewings, citing a lack of suitable venues available during the series. I think we all know the reason that Vancouver can't have a Jurassic Park. They'd riot. Oh, I'm not kidding. Hey, listen, I was there in 94. I was there when that riot happened. I got knocked off the air live by tear gas. I can make Vancouver riot jokes. I'm allowed. All those Vancouverites out there, you can just, you know what? You can call Drake. Hey, listen, listen. What do you think, Drake? It's about these people. It's about the city. We have the best player. We have the best fans in the whole NBA, in the whole world. Yeah. So take that, Vancouver. Messiah Jury, how about this for class? Talking about some former players and a former coach who helped get us where we are. I want to say that Dwayne Casey and DeMar DeRozan are part of this. Uh, they are part of our journey. I think Nick has, um, has done a great job just taking it from there and, and building a team that uh, he wanted to coach in, in, in a certain way and uh, bringing up uh, us to, to this moment. Jamie Tawil is covering the Raptors run for us, joins us on the line. Hi, Jamie. How you doing, Alan? And you know what? I think the real reason uh, Vancouver isn't holding any Jurassic Park of their own is, let's face it, they hate Toronto. We all know it. Oh, the, you, you are not kidding. You are, <laughs> and listen, I will tell you this. When I moved to Vancouver in 1991, people would ask me where I was from. I would say I was from the Golden Horseshoe. I would just, because they didn't know where that was. Because if you said Toronto, they'd hate on you, like, big time. Yeah, it's true. I got a lot of it when I was traveling abroad. I mean, it's, you know, I, I consider it, hey, I'm from Canada, you're from Canada, but to them it was, no, I'm from Vancouver, you're from Toronto. Uh, so not all of you don't want a blanket statement, but you certainly get that vibe, especially when it comes to things like sports, so. Yeah, and plus they're just still, you know what, they're still smarting about the Grizzlies. They're like, oh, come on! <laughs> exactly. Are you, come on! Yeah, right. gonna, that's expensive to fly down to Memphis. <laughs> yeah, and I don't see them in the finals. Uh, <laughs> Jonas Valanciunas, you know who I'm talking about. Exactly. Uh, okay, let's talk about what uh, what Masai had to say. What were you, did, were you at that press conference? Well, I got here and I see what they're doing. So Credential Media got access to the Maasai uh, presser, but I did hear it all uh, and what he said. Right now, I'm actually uh, at a closed practice, so I'm watching uh, Kawhi and uh, uh, Danny Green shoot threes. They're about 10 feet away from me right now, so it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, the, the real buzz here is certainly, right now anyways, is media. I mean, I've covered a lot of events um, from a sports standpoint, UFC events, uh, NHL, of course. Um, I've never seen this much international media under one roof. It is insane. Um, the amount of American uh, media, there are uh, journalists and bloggers from China here. Uh, it is such a buzz right now. And uh, what's going to happen at 1230 is they're having an open press day, so to speak. So people who aren't um, fully credentialed to cover the games, like myself, unfortunately, it's very difficult to get. Uh, the credentials. To I have credentials. I'm not bragging, yeah. but I got credentials. Uh, no, I seriously, knew you would, I Alan. I knew you would. <laughs> no, I have credentials. Yeah. Um, so are you going to get here for uh, for game one? Oh, yeah. I will <laughs> absolutely. I'm going to be. So. And please, and I, if I could just pitch this, we're going to have a special pregame show 
uh, on Global News where I'm live outside and then uh, I'll be at the game and then immediately following the game we have a live YouTube newscast on Global News, Global News Facebook, uh, YouTube channel and I will be doing a live broadcast post game one. But back to what you're seeing. First of all, are they draining the trays, especially Danny Green, because he was a bit spotty in the last series? You know what? They're sinking just about every shot right now. Um, the the main guys are off the floor. Kawhi, Danny Green. Uh, I haven't seen Kyle Lowry yet. Uh, oh, Danny Green is actually still shooting. Uh, yeah, and he's sinking them. But now, mind you, he's got zero pressure on him. He's just being dished the ball. Go get up in his face. Go get in his face right now. <laughs> right. Uh, something tells me I'd be escorted out of the building immediately. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it really is a buzz here. And, and you know, with, with media and, of course, uh, the fans. I mean, even though this is close to, you know, just your general fan, the, uh, the apparel, the shop, I can't remember the name of the shop, uh, just inside the AC, it's got a couple of them now set up. It is swarming with people just buying jerseys, uh, hoodies, you name it. Um, this city is absolutely enthralled with the Toronto Raptors right now, and rightfully so. I mean, this uh, should they manage to come away with this series, Alan? I think the, uh, the city's going to go absolutely bonkers. All right, well, let's get to that. Should they be able to come away with this series? I hear this in everyone's voice, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, rightly so. A an, an expectation that this is going to be very, very difficult. It is. Uh, Golden State's a very, very perimeter-playing team. I mean, they, they shoot the three better than anybody else in the league. Um, so the Raptors, when you look at who they've beaten to get here, you know, they're, they're bigs uh, in Milwaukee, there are bigs in Philly, uh, even Orlando to some degree. But um, Golden State, a bit of a smaller club, and they shoot from the outside. So it's going to be a different team from a matchup perspective. The good news, of course, we know Kevin Durant's out for game one. Yeah, so except for the bad news is that they won four straight without him. Five yeah. if you count the game that he went out. Exactly. but And the Raptors did beat Golden State in the regular season when Durant was in and Kawhi was out. So, you know, again, this is all about matchups. It's playoff basketball. Anything can happen. And I think, you know, there, there are a lot of American media specifically who are writing the Raptors off, but many of them um, who are much smarter than those those, uh, those, those folks writing them off are saying, you know, look, the Raptors have a real good shot at this. This is a seven-game series. This is playoff ball, and the Raptors can play with anybody in the league. There's no question. With Kawhi Leonard playing the way he's been playing right now and this team gelling the way it is, if Danny can green and get that three ball going, look out. Well, that's that's key. That is going to be key. And so you just keep shouting at Danny. You just say, you know, just <laughs> nail it, Trey. You know, what you did, you know what you need to do? You be Jeremy Lin. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Lin's not doing too much, I can tell you that. No, but uh, Jeremy Lin's only job is to hold up the three sign when somebody makes a three ball. Because every time you get to shoot the, you get the shot of the bench in the game, it's like, I best be seeing Jeremy Lin putting up a three. And I don't mean shooting one, I mean just holding up three fingers. That's all I'm looking for from Jeremy Lin. Absolutely. I mean, he hasn't done too much this, uh, this playoff run. But uh, again, we all know the history with, with uh, Jeremy Lin. He's, he's shown he can, he can play in years past, and uh, I doubt he'll see much time in this series. Well, I hope not, because the only time I've ever seen him on the court, we were getting absolutely smoked. So He's a bit of a shell of himself from from what he used to be. Actually, Kawhi right now is is dishing to Danny uh, from the arc, so yeah, so I'm sure he's uh, telling him I'm a fun guy. (laughs) (laughs) Love the game of basketball. <laughs> what is uh what does Drake have to say about that? There's a little Drake in here. Hey, listen, listen. 
So uh, listen, Jamie, what's your take on this? You want to put you want to put uh, your mouth on the line. What do you think is going to happen? I'm taking the Raptors in seven. Listen, I think Alan, a big thing that people are are uh, are forgetting about here is home court advantage, which the Raptors have. Game one is here tomorrow night, as we know. And uh, look, if this is starting in Golden State, this is a different series. I think you go into that building, which is absolutely insane. Um, you know, I think it's a, a much tougher task for the Raptors. But if they can win both here at home, look out, or even just get a split, uh, this is going to be a seven-game series. And I think, and if Game Seven is being played here, I like the Raptors' chances for sure. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely key—a split, or even just even this game, Game One. Will yeah. if we come away with a win in Game One, this city will just about explode, yeah. just just that's on the known. possibility of that. Because there are so many. Like I, I wanted to throw a brick at my television last night watching American coverage because they have, as you point out, just written us off. Absolutely, and a lot of them writing off the. Uh, the idea, the concept of, of Kawhi coming back here next year, with I think, which I think is insane. I mean, if somebody offered me a seven and a half million dollar penthouse, I'd probably stay put. Well, not to mention, you know, you get all the oysters you want at Rodney's Oyster House. They're part yeah. of the uh, free Kawhi stay. And didn't, KD, didn't KD throw something in there too? Called, like unlimited craft dinner? Like you wouldn't want that? We sure who there's actually a uh, there's a children's barber shop in my neighborhood that has a sign out there: free braids for Kawhi. <laughs> so, so he'd actually have to duck down to get into the place because it's so tiny. But uh, I don't think that that's going to sway him. I would like to believe that he's staying. I'm afraid I am on the, I, I I'm on the side that says I don't see him staying. But I hope I'm wrong, I, and I hope that he's hoisting the trophy, and that makes the difference. Right now, Alan, uh, they are just a uh, huge circle in, at center court. They uh, had a little speech there from Nick Nurse. And they just yelled, Raptors clapped, and now they are uh, making their way to the media room. So I'm sure we'll get some uh, some uh, talking points from some of these players right now. Um, just watching Fred Van Vliet pass literally right in front of me. Um, so it's, uh, it's again, it, the buzz is going to continue here right through the day, I'm sure. Jamie Tawil is covering the Raptors run for Global News, and he's a Global News anchor here on the morning show. You can listen to him there. Jamie, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure, Alan. Thank you. We begin this segment with a warning from Health Canada. Health Canada has now suspended the licenses for biocell breast implants because of an increased cancer risk. They have suspended the licenses for allergens, biocell, macro-textured breast implants. And, and I make that distinction because it may be important later in this story. The textured implants have been suspended because of potential risks. Now, no cases have been reported with any smooth surface implants. Health Canada says the breast implant-associated anaplastic large cell lymphoma, it's a rare type of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. That is the cancer link. To talk more about what this means in terms of surgery and what doctors are seeing, I am joined by Dr. Turvart, who is the director of the Division of Rheumatology at the University of Alberta. 
Doctor, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Alan. Hi. What what are you seeing in terms of these implants, biocell implants, having to be removed? Um, The problem with those breast implants is that they are being recognized by the immune system and um, um, uh, uh, causing a constant activation of the immune system. And while the uh, immune system is activated, sometimes mistakes are being made. And if such a mistake is um, malignant, um, it is uh, uh, causing a so-called non-Hodgkin lymphoma, so a proliferation of immune cells uh, that are proliferating uh, without listening uh, to uh, triggers that should uh, dampen the immune cells again. I think many women, uh, any woman that would be considering a breast implant or has one is going to be concerned. How widespread should this concern be considering that we are talking about a specific maker and this textured breast implant? Yeah, so we don't know exactly how frequently this occurs. It, it it seems to be a rare occasion, although the exact figures are not there. So um, um, at least less often than one in 200 ladies, but probably much more less often. And um, uh, the problem is that um, uh, if you have breast, these breast implants and you uh, ex- um, you experience a, a sudden increase of the size of your breast, then that's an alarming signal. So then you immediately have to go to a physician and to see whether there's um, a swelling, uh, for instance, that there's fluid now in the breast implant. And that's a bad sign um, if that fluid occurs lately, so years after implantation. So then um, we generally uh, try to immediately do a puncture and see whether there's malignant cells present, and if so, uh, there should be an explantation performed. That is certainly concerning news for women out there that have any brand or any make of breast implant. Well, the the, um, uh, the biocell seems to be much more at risk than the others uh, than the other implants. Um, although um, you must say that none of the macro texture plants are completely safe, but uh, the biocell is 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 currently uh, being the most prominent of the breast implants that are causing this non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Doctor, thank you so much for being with us. That is uh, Doctor Jon Wilhelm Cohen Tervert. From the Thank University of Alberta. Very Thank well you. pronounced. Thank you. Name, though. <laughs> Thank, Bye, Alan. Bye. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I am a professional news anchor. Do not try that at home. Ladies and gentlemen, we turn our minds now to nuclear waste. And where do we put it? Because it's got to go somewhere. That is the unfortunate reality. And, rem- and remind yourself that the lights here in Ontario are on. I believe 40% of our power is nuke-based. So Bruce Power is looking for places to put radioactive waste, a place to bury it. And they have found a spot, 1.2 kilometers of Lake Huron, within 1.2 kilometers of Lake Huron. And where, whether or not it goes there is going to be shortly decided by the Saugeen Ojibwe Nation. And to talk more about what is at stake here and the decision that is about to be made, I am joined by Eric Sorensen, who is Global Senior National Affairs Correspondent. Hi, Eric. 
Hi, Alan. Did, uh, we, we didn't call it nuclear, did we? Oh, did I actually say no, that out loud? So. Nuclear. It's pronounced nuclear. Oh, my God. <laughs> I get the guy's name right, but that I blow. I, I, I get a George H.W. Uh, but tell me, what is the situation going on at Bruce? Well, it's, it's interesting because I had actually, when I first looked into this, I was looking at an enterprise that is unrelated to the one you're describing, and that is uh, under the auspices of the uh, Nuclear Waste Management Organization. There is a search on for a, for a place to put the highest radioactive used fuel, but that's a long-term project, and that's going to take a while to play out. More immediate is the one you're talking about. Uh, and that is what is OPG going to do with its uh, low and, and intermediate level waste. And so the low is things like it could be clothing and tools. Intermediate waste could be resins or components that were in the reactors. And, of course, the high-level stuff that they're not dealing with right now, uh, that's uh, the uh, spent fuel. So, and the plan actually for both of them, but the more immediate plan for this one is a deep geologic repository that they plan to, that they would want to put right on the site of Bruce Nuclear, which probably has some advantages since it's right there and close to them. It's actually literally a stone throw from where some of this waste is buried right now, but it's buried only up to, you know, up to the surface. Uh, this, they want to go down about 680 meters into old sedimentary rock that is hundreds of millions of years old and therefore would make it almost impossible for anything, including radioactivity, to leak through it. Uh, if it were to come to that. But this land that the Bruce is on happens to be the, the traditional land of the Saugeen Ojibwe and some others that are in the, in the region. And uh, they, of course, were never consulted about putting a nuclear plant in this place 50 years ago. But times have changed, and you don't make decisions nowadays about important land, water, environment considerations without the, uh, the regional, if not national, uh, indigenous people having something to say about it. So OPG is recognized, in fact, what it says are the historic wrongs in the way it has been dealt with in the past, and, they're going to and they are in the midst of negotiating something remedial on that side of it. But, but going forward, they have said the Saugeen Ojibwe are going to be the ones that have to make a final decision on whether this goes ahead on this land, even though it's uh, you know, Bruce land, it's also Saugeen Ojibwe land. What do we see on the piece that you're airing tonight on Global National? Well, we're going to talk about the, the, the fact that it's uh, that what, what OPG's plan is, the, the, what they show us is all of this waste, medium uh, and intermediate waste. They also happen to have high-level waste, which we'll deal with in the next couple of days, just sitting, in a sense, sitting just at the surface. And the, the, the idea is, well, it's just accumulating and accumulating, and it's going to be radioactive, in, in the case of some of the intermediate materials, for 100,000 years, and something ought to be done with it. And so they will show us what their plans are. They've done borehole drilling, uh, dr uh, r drilling to go down deep in the surface, and uh, they want to demonstrate just how safe it would be to do that. For the Saugeen Ojibwe and others in the area, the question is, is this what we want done with this on our land? It's a, it's a profound decision because you're not making a decision just for yourself or even the next generation. You're making it for you know, four or five hundred generations from now. Um, you know, the, the indigenous people in this country have always had a history of caring and looking ahead to what what happens to the land and the water and the environment. But this is something even beyond the scope that they would normally think of because it is so many millennia that they're having to think ahead. So it's a, it's a tough decision, but it's one that they hope to make by about uh, the end of this year if they can. Eric Sorensen is Global's Senior National Affairs Correspondent, and you can watch that on the Global National Tonight, that piece on Global National Tonight, airing at 6.30 tonight. Nope.
nuclear. 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 Excellent. Thank it's you. It's pronounced nuclear. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, w- do we have something here from Nick Nurse? We want to play something from Nick Nurse. He's got some IQ. He's got some. He's got really, really, you know, good body and athleticism. He's got these really big hands that you know get in there and and snatch the ball away sometimes. I think he's talking about Kawhi. He's got them big hands. Stay with that heat all day, cause I'm fired up. No bricks, I'll switch, cause I'm fired up. Switch, stack it up, stack it up, racking up chips, cause I'm fired up. They know I'm fired up. You know I'm fired up. Take it, not fake it. Oh no, that's a mistake. Assuming I'm average, a savage. What they all say, anytime I'm finished, you are witnessing fate. I overcome the odds against me, it's how I stay great. Bill 108. I don't know if you've heard of this. Bill 108 is going through the provincial legislature, and I've just noticed that Patrick Brown, who is the mayor of Brampton, uh, has tweeted out that, uh, quote, interesting report on Ford Nation's Bill 108, Ford Nation being the Twitter handle for uh, uh, Doug Ford, that Bill 108, uh, a study by the city of Brampton planning and finance staff, shows that it allows the reduction of parks in new developments and funds collected from developers for community services. Hopefully these shortcuts for developers won't stay in final legislation. And I want to add to that something that the Large Urban Mayor's Caucus of Ontario said on Friday, that changes to development charges, which are paid for by developers to offset the cost of growth, could put already approved parks and community centers in jeopardy. Keep that in mind. That is something that is happening at the province right now. Bill 108 is about to go through. If it does go through in its current wording, it could mean sayonara for the park in your neighborhood or a planned park or perhaps a community center. Something to keep in mind. I want to turn my mind now to screens and a new report from Common Sense Media, which is a nonprofit children's advocacy and meetings ratings organization in the United States. It released a report on Wednesday. It's based on surveys of 500 pairs of parents and teenagers, and it found that both groups have complicated relationships with screens and smartphones and, of course, with each other. Now, most of us parents worry that our kids are addicted to those devices, but about 4 in 10 teenagers, according to this report, have the exact same concern about their parents. Here are the key findings of the report. 26% of parents say they use a mobile device like a smartphone or a tablet within 5 minutes of going to sleep. The same share acknowledged waking up to check the device at least once during the night, while slightly smaller share, 23%, say they use the device within five minutes of waking up. The rates are higher amongst teenagers. 40% say they use the device within five minutes of going to sleep. 36% say they wake up to check it. 32% say they use it within five minutes of waking up. So we yell at our teenagers, or I do at least. Perhaps I go suggest... That per- get off that phone. Can't take your phone into the bedroom. Get off the screens. I say to my 10-year-old, get off, get off the thing. And you know what I do? As I'm standing from the top of the stairs shouting down to the basement, turn off the brr! I'm immediately looking at Twitter. I am the world's greatest hypocrite. And to help me wallow in my sorrow and shame, I'm joined by Naomi Parnas. 
who's journalist and storyteller, former reporter with CTV News, and a frequent guest on this program. Hey, Naomi. Hey, Alan. I'm laughing because that's me. I mean, I when you ask me to talk about this topic, this is something that I struggle with every single day, and I feel the same guilt as you. And I think because we are from sort of a news background and a need to know, I'm obsessed with my phone. Anyone who knows me will tell you that I'm always on Twitter. I'm always checking. I always need to know what's going on. And so I struggle with the exact same thing because I, too, don't want my kids to grow up as obsessed with technology. On the other hand, I myself am part of that 5%. I was laughing so hard when you were reading those stats. I fall asleep with my phone and wake up checking the news. This is what I do. So I struggle with the exact same things as you. I have a 10-year-old boy and an almost 8-year-old boy. Both are very much into their iPad, both very, very obsessed right now with Fortnite and video gaming. So I'm struggling with it on so many different levels because of the video games, but also just with their tablets. And they don't have phones yet, thankfully. I've been able to hold off on that, but all of their friends are getting phones. So now we're having the discussion about that too. So I am with you 100% on the guilt. Uh, in terms of how we deal with it, <laughs> we try. We try to parent it, right? We, we Do you take parent. away the screens? Do you try and use that as a disciplinary action? Like if you're bad, I take yes. away your... And how's yes. that go down? Uh, not... Well, you know what? It, sometimes it works. It depends, especially with Fortnite. My rule with Fortnite and with video gaming is not during the week unless they have friends over. But I, I really find that there's something about that with the video game. And to be honest with you, there's something different about the iPad. I don't know what it is whether it's so close to them, I am very, I'm okay with them watching TV. I mean, we all grew up watching TV. Now, isn't this ridiculous? Hold on here, because this is what I do now. I say to them, because they go home on one day a week and they make their own dinner, and they're, they're, they're that advanced now, you know, it, my daughter's 13, my son is yep. 10, and I say to them, okay, no, you got to put your screen, no screens. You can watch television, but no yeah, screens. Just, and I, now how ridiculous is that? But it's not, I don't know, there's something weird about it. There, I, I do the exact same thing. We're very, we limit their screen time when it comes to the iPad, but when it comes to TV, they're allowed to watch. Oh yeah, I, I see it all the time. It's like, yeah, you got to stop that. Go upstairs and watch some television. I know, it's a bit, you know what though, I will say, and you were talking about that survey, my kids have said to me, why are we not allowed to watch our iPad when you're on your phone all day? And it's a very hard argument, and I'll tell you, the only thing I do say to them, I work off my phone. I, I, I check my phone not only for the re- you know, I'm not watching the way that they're consuming yeah, on my phone. but you I, know, and I, listen, I do the same thing, daddy's working, and like, and then I realize I'm on Instagram, Instagram well, you know. Yes. Looking at Beyonce videos and stuff. I know. Well, and then they're like, well, you're messaging. So we can message too on our iPad. You know, they want to message their friends. So I, I agree. And so the one thing that I will say, as my kids are getting older, because your kids are a little bit older than mine, I am being more conscious. Like, I'm being more conscious of my screen time. So especially at dinner, I've made a rule to put the phone away. So if we're eating and we're sitting at the table, I, my phone is not anywhere to be seen. Their screens are not allowed. I am a parent who, I mean, everyone can do what works for them. When we go out for dinner, if we're at a restaurant, there's no screens. Like, literally. We're, I, I'm not one of these parents who wants to take my kids out, and they're going to sit there on their iPad and watch TV. And that's fine for, for some people. But for me, that's really the only time that my kids will actually sit and talk to me. It's the little things. It's all you can do. Naomi Parnas is a journalist and storyteller and is a frequent guest on this program and wallows in the same guilt that yes. I do. Thank you, you know, so Alan, much. You know, Alan, I'll say you were talking about 108. Don't take away the parks, because we need the parks to get them off the screen.
I know it's the only thing I can do. Go outside. And they're like, oh, what, you mean like Pokemon Go? I'll go, yeah, right. I'll go. Because, and they'll say, well, I'll take it, whatever you can yeah. do. All right, thanks, Naomi. Appreciate You're it. Uh, last word to Drake. Hey, listen, listen. Yeah, Drake, what would you want to say? I love Toronto. I love this team. And we're going to the NBA Finals. Let's go! Go Raptors. See you tomorrow.